Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. To so many white guys from WNYC Studios. I'm your girl, Phoebe Lynn Robinson. And joining me, as always, is Joe Mitch. That was like Golden Girls theme song <laughs> energy. <laughs> Thank you. Who do you identify with the most? Oh, God. Who's the fun? Is it Rose? Is not the funny one. Rose is the one from Minnesota. Wait, who does Rue McClanahan play? She plays Blanche. Blanche, it's you. And she's like sassy, right? She's like sassy and horny. So during the buttocks lifts, he motioned for my phone number. Well, I didn't want to appear easy, so I rolled over on my back and flung my legs over my head. Oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I identify with Rose because she's from Minnesota and she's like always talking about Midwestern culture. We'd all hop on the tractor and ride out to the farm. 30 or 40 of us carrying big pitchers of freshly squeezed potato juice. Which is not unlike myself, unfortunately. Facts. Facts. It's just the truth. (laughs) But one of my favorite lines ever that I tell people all the time is from Blanche, which is there was the scene where basically Dorothy was asking Blanche why she was flirting with a man when she was still married. And Blanche goes, keeps your butt firm. (laughs) And I wasted all that time on jazzercise. (laughs) You guys, that's a motto we should all live by. That's what I think. Who needs squats when you could just talk to random sausage or clams? So, Phoebe, you and Bay just moved in together. I mean, he just moved out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's very exciting. We're living in Brooklyn together, which is so cute, especially because he never thought that he was going to live in New York. But I got that magic punani. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful apartment. It's so nice. Thank and you. I thought you were going to say my vagina is beautiful. It's and I was a beautiful ready for that. punani. <laughs> You heard Um, it here, guys. (laughs) But also, isn't there a rule at your home that there's no Bono photos allowed in the bedroom? Oh, my God. Yeah, there's no Bono allowed in the bedroom. (laughs) Because I have, like, vinyls. I have, like, letters that are notes that Bono has written me. I have photography that The Edge took of Bono. my God. So he was like, for the love of God. I cannot see Bono's face right before we have sex. I beg you, don't put anything <laughs> YouTube related in the bedroom. So that's the rule. And I'm like, okay. We do. And it's not allowed in a playlist either, like a sexy playlist. That's not allowed either. Uh-oh. Yeah. Did you try to sneak one in there ever? No, but I will tell you what I did recently. <laughs> <laughs> so he came back for Valentine's Day and I always like to make like a fun like playlist. So I just like stuck this song on that I'm like it was so funny to me, so I put it on there. 
so we're like, you know, having sex or whatever. And I know that the song is coming up. And so I keep like cracking up. And then the next song starts and it's Baby Shark. So it's just like, Baby Shark. Baby Shark. Baby Shark. And I was like, I'm the worst girlfriend for Valentine's Day. This is like romantic. And I'm pranking him with Baby Shark. How did he respond when Baby Shark came on? He started laughing. He was like, okay, that was actually pretty good. He was like, that was a funny prank. Did it kill the mood? No, but I was like, (laughs) but I was like, can we keep it going for like, just keep the song going? He's like, no, it's like kids singing. Like we have to. You got the joke. We both laughed press next and i was like oh it's a short song we could kept it going he's like no <laughs> absolutely not yeah <laughs> i do have a photo of prince hung over our bed that's hot i feel like it's like good wait like on energy the ceiling? no you that's a little him? too oh. graphic <laughs> that's freaky yeah but it's like by the headboard yeah and i'm from minneapolis so yeah. you know i'm very very attached but it definitely yeah. creates like a yeah sensual energy he's blessing the sex honey. he is so basically you're a great girlfriend because you have prince and i did baby shark <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay you guys we gotta go to the commercial we'll be back in a minute nice throw fubes i didn't want to do it god damn Hi Q, hi. That stands for Hi Queen, hi. By the way, I have like some new followers on Instagram, and people are always like, "What's the YQY thing?" Yas Queen Yas. So anytime there's a Q, it just means Queen. Anyway, Hi Q, hi. I'm back with Joni Mitch, and you guys, I'm so happy to share my conversation with the great Roy Wood Jr. You guys know him as a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He, in my opinion. I think it's probably one of the best stand-up comics working. I don't know what they're going to do between us and the police. This shit is getting hard. Every day, police might get called on you while you're trying to get coffee. Police might get called on you while you're trying to barbecue. Police might get called on you while you're trying to mow the yard, take a nap, sell some water. At this point, if you black, the safest thing you can do every day is just call the police on yourself. I mean, the white people gonna call anyway, so you may as well take the power back. Control the narrative. Have you seen him live yet? I have seen him live. Wait, where did you On see him? On Up Queens. Oh yeah, when he did the podcast. He's yes. so good. He's so great. And this is, like, kind of cool. Like, you don't want to, like, brag about stuff. But when, like, the New York Times writes glowing stuff about you want to say something. And they called him the closest thing we have now to Dick Gregory. It's amazing. Holy hell. What an achievement. I love this interview. It is a really deep and also funny and moving interview. And I think you guys are really going to love it. Okay, guys. I am so excited today to be in the studio with one of my favorite comedians. Yes. <laughs> I we do stand-up shows together sometimes. I always like to watch, you know, when comics are on stage, but this guy I'm studying. I am pulling out a blue book being like this is how he's making this magic happen. He is an incredible stand-up, dare I say a philosopher. I'm going to say he's a motherfucking <laughs> philosopher, <laughs> y'all. He's got two specials out on Comedy Central, Father Figure, No One Loves You, and of course, The Daily Show. Please give it up for Roy Wood 
Junior. Yes. <laughs> Why, thank you very much for that resounding introduction. <laughs> How you doing, man? I ain't got no complaints. You've been in New York for only three... I moved to New York in 2015. For The Daily Show. Correct. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. I was in L.A. for seven years, and I was growing stagnant. I'd booked one sitcom in seven years, and I just yeah. felt like... If I'm gonna if I'm gonna not be on TV, I should at least be getting better at stand up. Yeah. <laughs> and New York is the better place to not it be is. on TV. It is. Yeah. You can just do a bunch of spots a night and it's good. You know it's what good. took me a long time to figure out is that you need to be around other people that are driven. And New York yes. has more of that. Yeah. You'll hang around at the comics and I gotta go. I have four of the spots tonight. What new bits are you working on? Like it's almost like a challenge. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know you super well, but you seem so driven. Like, every time we, like, bump into each other at shows, <laughs> you always have a super polished 10, 15 minutes that, like, destroys. There's no way that you're just, like, chillaxing. No, no, yeah. no. Like, these last three years have shown me. I, I would lie. I'd be lying if I said having a kid didn't have something to do with it. Mm. Like, I think your kid is child. He's two and a half. Two? Yeah. yeah. He'll be three this year. Oh, congratulations. Like, that yeah. pressure of providing... Like, just that cloud of yeah. just like, this is such a terrible thing to say. Let's hear it. <laughs> when my girlfriend called me and told me she was pregnant. Yeah. My first thought was, I got to get some spots. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I was like, I need an hour special because I need the money because I need to sell more <laughs> tickets. All right, I got to call you back. I got to go get some spots tonight. <laughs> Let me know how the prenatal vitamin search goes, but... <laughs> I'm going out to the club. She's on like GNC.com and you're like at the seller. <laughs> yeah, it's. I love that. So, yeah, I try to work my ass off, man. Um, I want to talk about The Daily Show because that's how so many people listening to this know you and you are incredible on it. Huh. What? What's that? I'm struggling with this, man. What do you think? Are black people too sensitive about racism? Uh,. Hell yeah, black people are sensitive about racism. But that's because it's still happening. You can't tell me to get over something that never ended. I know you auditioned 2008 oh, the yeah. first time. Oh, I should have I auditioned. Be- I sh- me too. I auditioned 2015, 14, 15 when I was like so broke and so desperate. And I went in with broke, desperate energy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't go with energy like that because people, they're like, oh, this person's unhinged a little bit. Yeah. And I just like, I did not do well. <laughs> you have to treat every yeah. audition like a first date and just mm-hmm. be like, I got options. <laughs> Even if you don't, yeah. you just go in with the I got options yeah. energy. How'd you go into it in 2008? Arrogant. Really? Arrogant mm. in that sense of, well, I'm a comedian. I got a degree in journalism. Who the fuck better than me? Mm. The answer is Wyatt Cenac. <laughs> That's who's better. And I, I, I went in, I auditioned before Wyatt. Yeah. And I left my car keys in the room. And so I didn't want to go in during his audition. So I had to sit and wait for his audition to oh conclude. Oh, my God. The laughs that were coming out of that room. Oh. Like belly laughs. And I had just gone in and just bombed. No laughs? No laughs. <gasps> Basically, the audition, you go in and you do one of the like the fake reporter mm-hmm. back and forth with Jon Stewart. And it was just not good. And I just mm. was not funny. I I just... 
<sighs> and I had to sit there and listen to Wyatt Cenac crush his audition and then walk back in to get my keys <laughs> and totally kill the happiness in the room. Like, when you know you are the dark cloud, like, that's when I knew I wasn't getting it. They stopped laughing when I came. They weren't like, hey, Roy's back. It was like, oh, oh yeah, your keys are over there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. So you first auditioned 2008 and the second time was 2015? Correct. And seven year space was just like, I didn't want to take some time to get it together. You just were no, like, this I'm... job is not for me. Got I it. wasn't thinking about no daily show till mm. Neil Brennan said something. I mm. wasn't like, all right, I tried to get that job. You see Wyatt and see what he's doing. And then you see, you see Michael Che and you see Hassan. I'm like, all right, I can't do that. Mm. That's not what I do. So let me go away. But what happened over that seven years is that my comedy became more opinionated. I had more of a perspective and mm-hmm. opinion on the world. So my material was a little bit more on par with the type of opinions that the show wanted. And I guess Trevor put a, you know, put a pigeon in the sky and sent up a, a, a raven to <laughs> Neil on the West Coast. You know, do you have, yeah. you know, black people talking blackity black shit? Yeah. Who you got? <laughs> and Neil gave him my name. And so that got me the audition. And, you know, and thankfully, what I'm thankful for with this daily show and with where my comedy is intersecting is that because I talk about black issues and I try to talk about black issues from perspectives that people may not have considered, Trevor gives me the leeway to do that mm. as a black American. He is black, but he is not black American. So for Trevor to even recognize that, oh, you'll probably see these things. I may have a blind spot Mm -hmm. on one or two of these things. So, yeah, you come aboard and you handle that or educate me like that, that type of stuff. So it was it was really cool because I have not felt restricted in any way at the show. That's very important to me. And if I got the job in 2008, I wouldn't have been. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that I really am glad I got it when I got it and not when I wanted it. You have an interesting journey to getting into stand-up comedy. Can you, like, sort of tell us how oh, you got dude, started? that's part of it, too. Yeah. That, hell, that's the biggest part of it. Yeah. I thought I was going to prison. Yeah, so that's so, why I want to start with that, because that's super fascinating. I'm, on the yeah. real. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to prison? Okay, well, before I go to prison, I'm doing Everything I've ever wanted to do in life and comedy was on the list. So, so wait, why did you think you were going to prison? I want people to hear. Yeah. So when I was in college, mm-hmm. I was 19 and I'm in school at Florida A&M and I got arrested for stealing jeans at, at a department store. And so the way the lawyer explained it to me because of the credit card element to it, because it was stolen a credit card. He goes, well, you're facing probably five years. Um, and this is. Court-appointed attorney, not even making eye contact. Yeah. It's such a throwaway. Like, this is just his run-of-the-mill day. Yeah. You're facing five. They'll give you three. You're young. Good behavior. You'll probably do 18 months a year with overcrowding. You may be out in 12 months. But in the meantime, tie up any loose ends that you have in your life and bring your affairs to a close. And I'll see you at sentencing in two months. Oh, my God. I would have shit myself. That's crazy. You're 19 and a, and, a, and a lawyer just looked you in the face and went, yeah, you're going to prison, man. You're <sighs> going to prison. So I fall into a depression, as you should, mm-hmm. when you know you're going to go to prison. And I started doing stand-up to deal with it. 
Mm. Like that was the only thing that because when you get her also when you get arrested at 19, you lose all your friends, all your friends. Really? Leave. Yeah, because mm. with the police and the thing that they never show this on TV, but a little known trick that the police do is that if they arrest you for one thing, then they question you about a million other crimes that are related mm. to the thing. Like my crime was finance. So I got questioned yeah. for two hours about the, there's some check forging ring that was going around Tallahassee and they're showing me mugshot. Like they're trying to get you to snitch on other. And there were people that I saw in the mugshot book. I like, Oh man, we take biology together. (laughs) Like I knew some of these people and I didn't say anything, but once you're in the system, it just changes people's energy around you because Mm. they're not sure how they can behave around you because they don't know if you a snitch. Mm. And I was never about that. I mean, it's not like this is guns and drugs. Yeah. A pair of Tommy Hilfiger jeans, man. <laughs> Chill out. So I started doing stand-up to deal with the depression. I get to sentencing, mm. and I got probation. And it's literally like having my life handed back to me. And I couldn't tell you what made the judge on that day decide mm-hmm. that something that carries a five-year sentence to just give the kid probation and go figure out your life. That was, that was like the beginning mm. of the journey. And so... I got suspended from school for being arrested. And this is, you know, I don't want to get all right. Let me show you how God works. (laughs) But I got cut my financial aid check at the beginning of that semester and immediately got the suspension letter the next week. So rather than pay for classes, I just kept the student loan money and used that money to travel to do open mics because in the South— In the South, open mic is pretty much once a month per city. So if you're trying to perform every week, you got to travel. So I use the student loan money to fund Greyhound bus tickets all over the South. So I basically, I got suspended from school, and then I was fronted $7,000 in a year to just start comedy. I just remember that first year of that being the only thing that fed me. You're you're very isolated. You know, your parents don't know what to say to you because— they're hurt, and you don't know what to say to them. And also, hey, Ma, I almost went to prison. Yeah. Um, I'm going to drive around on a Greyhound <laughs> and tell jokes to strangers and rednecks. <laughs> but, yeah, don't worry about me. I'll get the degree. I promise. Do you, did you and your mom ever talk about how you almost went to prison? You just sort of like, was there ever a conversation where you guys just sort of like, okay, we got through that. We don't need to talk about it. We later, mm-hmm. later, we didn't talk much my first year of comedy because mm-hmm. she just she was so again my mom backstory she's a 30-year college educator yeah my mom has a master's and a law degree and she one of them black people got all the degrees got yeah. a copy of the degree and got it on another wall in another room <laughs> so for her higher education is everything mm-hmm. and so when i got back in school and i knew she was against it i go here's the deal if I make good grades, because at the time my GPA was like a two three, I, mean, I was struggling. Oh, oh I, was, I had to get them jeans, Phoebe. <laughs> it's jeans to get. I ain't got time to be studying. <laughs> so, the deal I made with her, I said, if I make dean's list, you can say nothing about anything that I do outside of this campus. Mm. That's the deal. We have a dish that said deal, and I made dean's list the rest of the way through college. And after that first year, my mom bought me a car to keep me from sleeping in bus stations. 
She didn't approve of what Wait, I did. you were sleeping in bus stations when you started? and that Yeah, it's like a six-hour layover. I, <sighs> yeah, you ride the bus to Atlanta, and then you transfer and catch another bus to Charlotte, and then you take the cat, the Charlotte area transportation system. <laughs> you take the cats wow. to the comedy club on Independence, the comedy zone. And then you take a city bus back to the bus station. You sleep four hours, take your bus back. Like, that was... But you're saying this like this is just natch. Like, everyone... That's what so, else did I have to do? I wasn't so... in college. I was 20. I had no friends. And I had a lot of money. <laughs> what else is there to do wow. other than play Madden yeah. <laughs> and work at Golden Corral when I was home? But you learn self-reliance, which I think is very important as an entertainer because there's a lot of dark days and a lot of people that aren't going to understand mm-hmm. what you're going through. So I think it's very important that you learn how to get through those moments on your own as best you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, man up. You don't need no friends. You don't need yeah. no therapy. Like, No, that all helps, too. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you got to cry in the car. But, yeah, my mom, even when she was against comedy, still supported it because I upheld my half of the bargain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and now today, my biggest fan. Like it's. Oh, I love that. Like it's. I was hosting the Writers Guild Awards. Yeah. And my mom was like texting me, like, "Where can I watch it?" I'm like, "Mom, it's not on TV. It's the yeah. Writers. They <laughs> watch the NBA All Star Game. Right? <laughs> it's a much bigger event. But when is it gonna be online? I want to see it. I want to critique it. <laughs> like she loves it now, I and that's that. and it's it's so crazy because, you know, there was a time where you know I didn't want to lie to her. I was just like, and I tried to hide comedy. But I would do open mics in Birmingham, and her students would be at the show mm-hmm. and go right back to the classroom on Monday. Dr. Wood, I just saw your son. <laughs> you ain't see my son. My baby in Tallahassee. He work at Golden Corral. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my degree is in journalism, but I didn't have any internships because I did comedy every summer. Mm. But when I got out of college, I was making more as a feature act than the two job offers I had in wow. journalism, I, which yeah. isn't a lot. This is journalism. I, yeah. <laughs> I had an offer for twelve five and fourteen k. Fourteen. That's all we're gonna pay you. Wow. Or you can continue telling jokes to drunk people for eighteen five, which by my calculations was what I was gonna make. So I moved yeah. back to Birmingham, and at the time, Ricky Smiley had just left the morning show. Ricky Smiley's also from Birmingham, and so. Ricky vacating the morning show opened a slot for me to come in and co-host, and I co-hosted and. I just use all the leverage I have from radio in Birmingham to open myself up to other markets. and That's, that's so smart. Because I wasn't getting on TV at the time. And then yeah. the TV I was getting was black TV, which a lot of white comedy clubs didn't really care about. Yeah. So I want to I just backtrack a little bit because you talked about doing radio, which your father did. And I know that you said that you didn't want to follow in the footsteps of your dad, but you ended up also doing Fail. radio. Yeah. <laughs> Fail. But, so, but why do you... I mean, I think... On some level, most kids like don't want to be like their parents. He's like, oh, I want to st- like forge my own path. But what else was it about him that made you kind of be like, oh, I don't want to do what he's doing? Uh, good father, bad husband. So mm. I think any man that grows up with that type of household where, you know, you weren't always the best husband you could have been, mm. you get older and you start resenting that person. And my father passed when I was 16. So I never had the opportunity to go, hey, man, let's have the heart to heart. Let's get it all out and move past it and grow together. So you go through a phase of I don't want to be him. Mm. I don't want to be nothing like him. 
because he was that bad thing, screw anything else that you did. And that's kind of where I came from for a long time. And then just, I don't know what happened, Phoebe. One day my comedy just started becoming more opinionated and political. And my Mm -hmm. father, he was one of the co-founders of the National Black Network in the 60s. My father did a lot of radio commentary. He was a reporter in the civil rights. Pretty much the way I try to equate it, any picture you show me of Dr. King March and my father's no more than three rows behind him. Wow. Reporting on what was happening. Yeah. He went to Vietnam. He was embedded with black soldiers and reporting on their experiences. And he came back to Chicago and worked at WVON. So the National Black Network was essentially black CNN. Like, like people mm-hmm. use that, like, it's the black CNN. No, this literally was black people CNN. And it was a syndicated black, black-owned, black-run news network. And so in that matriculation, my father did a lot of commentary and a lot of speaking on the state of blackness mm-hmm. on the radio. And so he was the voice of his generation in that regard, amongst a lot of other people. But yeah. I look at my stand-up now, and I definitely speak to a yes. lot of those issues, and I mm-hmm. speak to black stuff. And a lot of what I talk about on stage is just the same stuff my dad was talking about, just with some punchlines. And it's maddening. That's, but, but that's it's also maddening. really sweet. Like, isn't that great? Like how the universe works. Like it's like <laughs> it's like you're like always connected through that subject matter, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no getting around it. Yeah. It's just I just look one day in the mirror and I'm just like, I'm his kid. Yeah. Aww. That's just what it is. And you can improve upon parts of him. You go, all right, well, I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, at some point, you know, I wanna do a um I don't know if it's a documentary or a one-man show or something mm. about my father's legacy and, to some degree, our relationship. Mm. I'm just not sure if the two things meld, you they know? They do, and I've already bought tickets to the one-man show, you know, so um, I'm there, front um, row. You know, we'll see. I got to <laughs> vet it with all my half-brothers, though, because yeah. I know they'd be like, why you tell people that about daddy? <laughs> daddy ain't got nothing to do with her daddy. Daddy was a good man, and he knew Jesse Jackson and Dr. King. <laughs> So I'm not here to <laughs> slander anybody. I just want to talk about yeah. the things I felt at the time growing up. When I was a child, my mom went to grad school in Memphis. Yeah. But I would get sent to Birmingham in the summer. And so every summer I was with my father. He was up at 5 in the morning in the newsroom by 5.30 reading, you know, reading news copy off the AP wire. And it's it's interesting now because with the things that I want to do when I get back to Birmingham eventually – they're right on par with a lot of the stuff that he was talking about, just mm-hmm. bettering the black community and black-owned business and revitalization. That's the yeah. word old black people love. <laughs> we got to revitalize. <laughs> Young blood. But you got to understand the revitalization of the community and the economics. <laughs> revitalize. I love that. I mean, you know, I've been a huge fan of your stand-up for, like, a long time. And, Thank you, like, baby. I just see the progression of, like, the different things that you're talking about. and it's, <laughs> But it's so awesome to see that, you know, sort of tap it into social issues in a way. Because, I, you know, I read the New York Times article about, uh, like, you're, like, next in line to be, like, the next sort of Dick Gregory type, which I think— First of all, that's a lot of pressure. It's disrespectful to Dick Gregory to put me in the same sense. The way I tell people, Dick Gregory went to jail for justice. I went to jail for blue jeans. (laughs) But I think right now we're in this really interesting time where sometimes people feel as though if you're talking about social issues, you're being kind of like 
preachy. Yeah, preachy or you're being like a Debbie Downer. But I don't know when I when I watch you do it, it doesn't feel like that at all. It still feels like hopeful and like you get the knowledge in without people realizing they're absorbing it. There, there are there are a few comics. I have to sit and think of them, mm-hmm. but there are a few comics that do a really good job of smiling while saying something cutting. Mm. And you'd be surprised how much a smile can change how something is absorbed. You know, I'm trying now, like, because I don't have the solutions. But what I can do is, all right, we've argued about A and B on this issue. It's A versus B. It's A versus B. But sometimes there's a C element Mm. that you haven't considered. So with all my comedy, I'm just trying to present C and add it to the argument of A and B. It's like, well, stand for the anthem. No, take a knee for the anthem. Okay, what about change the anthem? Yeah. (laughs) Have we not discussed that? What if it was a different song? Would black people stand? Okay, well, what song would black people stand for? What artists would black people and white people stand? And then eventually you just start working through that in the clubs and you land on Bruno Mars. (laughs) White people and black people love Bruno Mars. So you want more people to stand? Play with Bruno Mars. Like that, that's kind of the progression of thought. They say America is a melting pot. Well, damn it, I want to stand to Bruno Mars. He literally looks like every race at the same time. What's better than that? What's more American than us standing with a Hawaiian, Mexican, white, lesbian, Jewish man to honor the troops? Okay, so let's talk about now where you are. You got these two specials out, Daily Show, your father, in a relationship. This is great. Yeah. Why I did you make no that complaints. sound? I he just a... went, Ugh, and I was like, oh, is this not good? The, the pressure of, how can I put it? So I'm trying to work on a sitcom now as well. That's right. You wanna, you're playing a parole officer. Yeah. yeah? Bring That's, it full circle. Yeah, I love that. Tell the story of the people who gave other people second chances mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I, I have to make sure that I make time to be a parent. Do and you feel like you're not doing that now? As best I can. Mm-hmm. You, you'll never feel like you're there enough. Yeah. But you also got to provide. Mm-hmm. So sooner or later, you got to leave the house, go get the food. Bring yeah. the food back. <laughs> but it, it's... That's always a delicate balance. So it's definitely something I struggle with because it's not, there's no, well, there is books on parenting, but Mm. not as an entertainer, not as, (laughs) hey, I'm home for 10 days and then I'll be going for eight and then I'm back for two and going for three and then I'm home for a month and a half. Like it's Mm -hmm. that weird yo-yo of travel and everything. But what's interesting is when you're away for three or four days, from a child and I'll FaceTime with my son but FaceTiming with a kid it's literally the same as talking to your drunk friend at three in the morning it's the same conversation yeah. what are you doing where are you are you eating did you eat something just pick the phone up like it's <laughs> the same conversation yeah. but you get home and then he's learned five new words two new sentences wow he knows three more colors I, I, we were watching some trains on YouTube or whatever. We watch train videos mm-hmm. sometimes. And he's naming the type of train cars <gasps> as they pass. Not just this is a freight train. That's a hopper car. That's a flat car. That's a tanker car. Wow. That's a box car. And I'm like, who the hell taught you? 
boxcar. You're two and a half. Why do you know <laughs> the different types yeah. of freight on a freight train? So, yeah, it's great, man. Yeah. I got no complaints. Being a dad now, does it make you look at your dad differently? Does it make you go, oh, maybe I was too hard on him about this. Maybe I didn't quite understand that. Or do you still sort of feel? Nah, being a father made me more angry. Mm. I was cool. Like, we was cool until I had a kid. Like, when I found out I had a kid, you start doing the math on, oh, you missed this? Mm. Damn, you missed this? You missed well, damn, motherfucker, where was you? <laughs> like, you start... Yeah. You start calculating the missed moments. Mm. And that's my biggest fear, is missing too much stuff. You know, and I don't want to... You know, you, you, you know living with resent and all that, that's, mm. that's one thing. But it's a, it's a difficult thing to deal with because there's no one that can really give you that proper closure or give you that type of conversation because everyone else who knows him is going to speak from a perspective that they don't possess yeah you know and like that i think is the thing that is most frustrating because you can i'll talk to people about my father but everything is in defense yeah. <laughs> well but he did a lot of good things you got to understand yeah. and it's like, i know all of that i understand that and i'll never take any of that away from mm-hmm. my father but then there's also a piece of you that just goes god damn man you, you miss you miss me walking yeah how you miss that shit, man? Like it's like that <laughs> yeah. type of stuff where you I believe there's two types of parents. You're either trying to be the same parent that your parents were to you, or you're desperately trying to be the exact opposite mm. of whatever your parents were. And that's the thing that's that's weird, is because I wanna be the opposite father, but I wanna be the same man if that makes sense, to the world mm. in terms of occupation and sense of obligation yeah. to the culture. My father was undyingly dedicated. You know, mm. prostate cancer, no chemo, worked till three weeks before he died because the chemo would have made him too weak to go to the radio station. Mm. Now that's work ethic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that type of work ethic I have. So, you know... That's the part that's scary because I'm just now discovering all of these pieces of me that were him. And so then you have to start praying that some of the pieces of him that were him aren't you. Mm. So carrying that, and to to go back to why I make the ugh sound, is that I have to turn off the comedy machine Mm. to do that. And this is the first time in my career that I've ever had to, oh, I have to do something else today. Because the default is go make the money, go make the money, go make mm. the money, go provide, go provide. But sometimes you have to balance that with being present. Mm. And that's something that I have to be, I had the same as cardio, I had to be a little more disciplined about before it became, you know, a habit. It's fun, but it's definitely a new challenge, fatherhood. Mm. So, and it definitely didn't give me any material. I thought this shit would. <laughs> be the first thing comedians talk about is that oh, you have a kid man I'm telling you man all the fucking jokes you ain't got no jokes <laughs> no jokes you know what I got from, like what the hell is this you man? know what I got from having a kid <laughs> fucking daddy issues that's what I got <laughs> I had a child and then it made me get mad at my father <laughs> like that's not that's not funny you can't put that on Fallon <laughs> you could try but it won't get approved well, <laughs> Roy, I 
This has really been so delightful. I'm like so pumped that I got to like sit down with you today. I truly I appreciate you getting deep, man. No, this man, is this fun. is this is great. <laughs> thank you for coming on so many white guys, man. Uh, this has been great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Oh God. I love Roy Wood Jr. so freaking much. That conversation got deep. Yeah. Yeah. I loved hearing about his dad. Me too. And it was sort of like, obviously, I like wasn't expecting it, but like he was just so open where he was talking about it that I just really wanted to like get into it. It ooh. was great. Breaking ground, baby. Ooh, ooh. Okay. You know what, Joanna? We got to get out of here. Okay. I am busy. I have so many things to do today. What do you have to do today? Okay. So these pants, I don't know if you can see, but I have their high rise button up. <laughs> I have oh one, God. two, three, four, five, <laughs> five buttons unbuttoned because this shit was pressing down on my fucking belly. So I need to take these pants off. <laughs> She's had her pants unbuttoned this entire time yes. and I didn't notice. <laughs> The entire time. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm going to go home and put on, like, my flowy pants from um, H&M. And then I just have, like, emails and meetings, like phone calls. Sounds really important. Yeah. But it's really just the <laughs> jeans. <laughs> you know when you wear, like, high-rise jeans and you take them off and they have, like, that line from There's where, There's, like, like, the indent. Yeah. <laughs> and also your stomach starts to kind of hurt. Yeah. yeah. So sorry that I unbuttoned my pants. The So Many White Guys team includes Amory Baldonado, Joanna Salataroff, Paula Schumann, Joe Plord, Keegan Zima, Isaac Jones, Nora Wazwaz, and moi, Phoebe Lynn Robinson. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. You can find some hot content of me and Roy Wood Jr. on Twitter at WNYC Studios. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Queen Thieves. And guess what, y'all? If you still can't get enough of me, I'm going on the road this year with my stand-up tour. It's called Sorry Harriet Tubman. So go to PhoebeRobinson.com and get your tickets now. I will be in Boston on May 3rd at the Wilbur Theater. There are a handful of tickets left, so get those bad boys now. And then June 4th through 8th, I will be doing a residency in Fort Worth, Texas. That's going to be awesome. You're going to hear a pretty sexy and funny hour. So get your tickets. See you soon. Bye. Bye.